0: Well, let us read one more time, Revelation 2, verse 20. The words of the Lord Jesus. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Father, you are the great and the awesome God, the judge of all the nations, Lord, we know that someday you will send your son and he will strike the nations like a clay pot and rule them with a rod of iron and shatter them and he will come and And take to himself those that he has won for himself through his triumphant death and resurrection. Lord, it's this great hope that we have that spurs us onward every day. It's this encouragement that we have that that we can come to your word and be taught this this reminder of this great inheritance that we have that is imperishable, it is unfading, it is undefiled, it is stored for us and it is awaiting us. Lord, all of these, these things which are just the drops of your goodness, they, they encourage us to come into your presence as your people and to hear your word, to receive it, because we see that you're, you are a good God and you would have us to know how to live before that day, Lord, you would, be, you would be right if you left us to ourselves and then on the day of judgment showed us all of our failings. But in your mercy, you let us see beforehand. So I pray that that would be the case today, that we would see our need, that we would see your goodness, your kindness. Lord, your word is truth. It's good for us. And we ask that you'd teach us. Please teach us, Holy Spirit. For Christ's sake, we ask these things. And we ask these things of you, O Father, only because of what Christ has done. We would dare not ask them if we did not have some great hope that we have an advocate in your presence even now pleading for us to receive the great and precious promises. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you know, we've taken this reference in Revelation 2.20 to a woman in the church of Thyatira, aptly named Jezebel, as the occasion to, to draw attention to one of the many very effective schemes of the devil, one of the most effective schemes of the devil, and that is the intentional targeting and use of women to uh, distract, to draw off course, to wound, uh, to cripple, or even to destroy faithful men, the servants of Christ. The first week we talked about the reality of this scheme and what I tried to show you was that throughout the Scriptures, one of the most effective, effective stumbling blocks in the pathway of men has been women. Is often women. Very specifically, it is often a woman uh, for those of us who are married. It can very often be the, the gift that God has given to us. Most of those examples, you'll remember, were sexual in nature... That's not because I believe that the only way that a woman can be used against a man is to to seduce him into sexual immorality. It's because it is that uh, sexual nature of the relationship between a man and a woman that lays the foundation for, for what the devil attempts to do. It lays the groundwork for this scheme. And again, sexual doesn't just mean that Specific activity of intimacy—it's the roots of the attraction, the thing that draws a man to a woman and a woman to a man. In in God's design, is that we're different. The difference in the sexes is what draw draws us together. And and as an aside, this is one of the great reasons why sodomy is such an abomination because it. It, it compels a man to go after what he already sees in himself, a woman to go after what she already sees in herself, and to be basically uh, self-obsessed. But the, the God has designed this. There is a physical aspect to that attraction, but there's also a psychological aspect to that attraction. The very things that make us different. The roots of that natural attraction are the things which the devil uses. It might be physical attraction and seduction. It might be psychological. It might be the words of our lips that go down like oil or that drip like honey. That's, that's purely uh, drawing on the, the affections or the mind of a man. James Durham in his commentary on the Revelation lists several reasons why women are so apt to be used in this Now, I'll just read them, and you, you can test these in your own experience. He says, Women are easily engaged and carried furthest in delusion. Secondly, women are often eager, vehement, and diligent in pursuing what they are engaged in. Now, when I read those back to back, I think, well, It ought to be the men who are the the easily engaged and and carried furthest in good. And it ought to be men who are the most eager, the the most vehement, the most diligent to pursue good and right and to lead the charge. But because of the fall, women will take that place and they are seduced and so they are often engaged and carried in delusion. They're eager and vehement and diligent in pursuing delusion. Satan uses that. Number three, women are often less suspect than men because they are are the fairer of the sex. I don't look at a woman and say, what are you trying to pull on me here? I think this is probably one of the reasons the Jehovah's Witnesses very often will send out women, pairs of women or three women in their their, uh, proselytizing. Um, Number four, women's abilities are often admired or more admired than men as if they are something above nature. For example, this is completely unrelated, but if I saw a woman cock and throw a football 40 yards, I would say, Whoa! That's impressive. Now, a man, I might not be as impressed. We know that because it just seems like that shouldn't go together. And it, it's the very same way when it comes to theological matters. We, if we come across a woman who is very astute and theological and, and doctrinal and very biblical, very often we think, man, this is... I don't even know how to, how to handle this, how to deal with this. Not that that's right, but because we, these things are elevated as if it's not normal because they are women, right or wrong. This is how we, we tend to view things. Number five, women have more occasion to tempt and infest others because we tend to show more patience with them. Again, this woman in Thyatira, she's being tolerated. Very often we'll, we'll show a, an extended patience with a woman more so than we would a man. And he said women have more access to other women, which also serves to multiply the problem even faster. The devil knows these things. He knows how we operate. He knows how we think. And so he'll use these things to his advantage. And I believe that, again, if we got beneath all of those reasons, we would see that they're built upon the things that make a woman different from a man. The very things that make us different. The reason we saw last week that the devil uses this scheme is not because women are inherently bad for men but because women are so good for men. (laughs) Women are absolutely necessary to the design of the all-wise God from the very beginning. The dominion mandate will not work without a woman. It can't happen. And the devil again capitalizes on God's design. He takes God's good things. He also takes advantage of man's condition and sin, and he works this scheme, and it has been successful. It's still successful to this day. So then the question is, what is our response? How do we respond to this? If we're, if we're beginning to see that this is a scheme of the devil, we're beginning to think about how the devil operates, how do we respond? I'm going to be speaking again primarily to the women, but men, I want you to listen, because everything I'm going to say is... It's for you too. Hopefully, you'll just be able to take out the, the, the feminine language and add in uh, masculine nouns and pronouns, and you'll be able to apply these very same things and really in every area of life. But here specifically, how do we respond? Number one, we must pursue a spirit wrought conviction of the danger that we are in and the duty that we have been given. Or to be, to make it even more specific, ladies, you must pursue a spirit-wrought conviction with regard to the danger that you're in and the duties that you've been given. You have to pursue it, go after it, chase after it, seek after it. There's nothing wrong with chasing, going after, seeking, pursuing, taking the kingdom by force. Being violent with regard to the dominion of Christ. I will have Him rule over me in this area. Go after it. Now, what do I mean by a Spirit-wrought conviction? We talk about the conviction of the Spirit a lot. Here's, Here's how I would define it. It's probably too long, but here's how I would define it. Conviction is the effectual work of the Spirit of God taking God's perspective and making it your perspective so that whenever there is an inconsistency in the way you're living, as it is laid beside God's perspective, you feel it. You're you're shocked down to the depths of your soul so that you act. And when there begins to be some consistency with regard to the the ways of God and your ways, you are elevated to joy. It affects you when you see these, whether the consistency or the inconsistency. This is conviction. In other words, God's thoughts become my thoughts through the work of the Spirit. And wherever my ways are not in accord with God's ways, I feel it and I am compelled to change it. And whenever my ways begin to, by His grace, begin to conform to His ways, I feel joy and freedom and a clear conscience. I, I recognize something in, in me is beginning to comport with something in my Creator. That's conviction. The Spirit does that in us. He has to do it. John says, or Jesus says in John six sixty three. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, very often we go to that text and the only thing we think about is the, the initial quickening of the Spirit in regeneration. But the language there, it is the Spirit who gives life. That could, it's a present active participle. It could be phrased... It is the Spirit who is giving life. It's an ongoing thing. And this is how life is. Life is an ongoing thing. And if something is living, it is consistently growing and being fed life from somewhere. There is a life source. And the Lord Jesus says it's the Spirit who gives it. The Spirit maintains the vital union that we have with Christ, the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches, and thus in that connection, we're sustained in our life. The regeneration, the the initial quickening, but also throughout the Christian life. The Spirit is who keeps us spiritually alive. He's the ongoing source. You cannot create ongoing growth in your own soul. You can't do it. The Spirit has to do it, and a part of Christian living, a part of spiritual life is conviction. That's a, a symbol of growth is when you're recognizing this, these are God's ways and in my mind I desire God's ways and I see in me an inconsistency and I need to fix it. That, that's how you know you're alive. On the other other side of the matter, these are God's ways and I've seen where I've erred. I've confessed. I've sought repentance by His strength. I'm now walking in the, the newness of life. I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm joyful. I feel the joy of walking in the way God commanded me to walk. The Spirit does this. The flesh is no help at all. Now, where does spirit-wrought conviction come from? I'm saying you need to pursue that. You need to go after that work. So so how does how does how do you do that? If you're gonna pursue it, where do you go? Well, the answer is God's word. We can continue reading, continue reading in that same verse. John 6:63. 6, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the word. The Spirit of God uses your regular interaction with the Word of God to shape your thinking, to shape your feeling, to shape your living and bring them into conformity with God Himself. There is an aspect of it that, that is diligent and slow, study and meditation. And then there is also an aspect of it that is just a constant reading of the Scriptures, all of the Scriptures over and over and over again so that you actually begin to live and think and feel the way God would have you to live, think, and feel. So then when I say, you need to pursue a spirit-wrought conviction. What I'm saying is, you have to go after, chase, and, and, and work after that effectual work of the Spirit using the Word of God. You have to do that. Now you say, "Well, okay, so that's, that's what we've been doing for the past two weeks. Especially with regard to the danger. That's what we've been doing, is looking at the Scriptures. The answer is to that is, yes, that's what I've been doing. Now what I'm saying is, you got to do it. I can do it all day long. If you don't do it, it's not going to be useful. Just as a point of examination, you say we've we've done that. We've done this. We've we've heard about the danger. We're getting the danger. Okay. Then how much time have you now spent in the Word of God, not only comparing what I've said to the Word of God, but taking revisiting all of the passages of Scripture. That are the foundations for why you're doing what you're doing to be reminded by God why you do what you do. See, that's where we really find out whether we're serious about walking in accordance with the Scriptures or not. Am I actually measuring my actions and my practices according to God's Word? See, you have to be taught by God. You have to be convinced by God. John 6:45 Again, everyone who has learned, heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Notice there's a principle here. If you hear and learn from God, you come. That's because there is in God no potential. It's all kinetic energy, it's all pure act. And so if God teaches you, you come. If God does the teaching, it produces results well bring this into the realm of examining the danger that you're in and the duty that you're in if God teaches you you're going to take it seriously it's not just a good example it's not just preachers that you can look at or hear from if, if, that, if that's all that you have at some point you're going to find something you don't like about that example you're going to find something you don't like about that preacher and you will find the ability to scratch all that they ever said you just forget it just discredit it all it's not even enough that it comes from your husband sitting down with the Word and teaching you. Because if he dies in his sleep tonight, you might find the strength to go on in his honor and live a certain way for a while, but eventually you will burn out. And you'll say, well, you know, my husband, he would really, he would really want me to be happy. And so you'll find another way to achieve that because you were only taught by him. What I'm saying is, ladies, you must pursue a spirit-wrought conviction of your own. You have to have it. And that is according to and flowing from the Word of God. If you don't have that for yourself, it will not last. Why is that? It's because God's Word is powerful. Psalm 29 is a psalm we often use to just elaborate on and see the power of the voice of God, the Word of God. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Just I won't read the whole thing, but just listen to the verbs. The voice of the Lord breaks. The voice of the Lord flashes. The voice of the Lord shakes. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, strips the forest bare. God's Word is effectual. But you have to get it. It's not enough that I get it or that I give it to you. Now, I'm not saying that you can't get it by means of a preacher. That's very often how it happens. But I don't want you to settle with, well, the preacher said. Or even, well, my husband said. You have to go to it, ladies. You have to be there. Now, I know that it's difficult, not from experience personally, but just from watching. I know that the lives of most of you, it's not as easy as just saying, well, just do it. I know that your schedule, can't, it can't simply be fixed in stone and set and established. As, as men, we think that that's how it ought to be because our boss did it for us. So he told us when to come in, when to clock in, when to take break, when to take lunch, when to take second break, when to clock out. And so we come home and we say, what's the problem? What's going on here? Because somebody else did it for us. And we understand that things come up in the, the, the goings-on of a household that don't make it that simple. But at the, at the same time, it's very burdensome When I hear young mothers, especially, wives and mothers and homemakers, burdened with so many tasks, doing so many things that most of you have never seen modeled before in your life, all the while with with never dying souls around your feet, looking at you to be the model, looking at you to be the pattern, and then you say, well, I'm trying to find time to spend in the Word of God. I'm struggling to get into a good routine. We've been so busy these last two weeks, I've just not been very consistent in my personal study. If your husband said he was trying to find time to go to work, you'd be out on the street, right? If I came up here today and said, sorry folks, I tried to find time to to write a sermon this week, but I just got busy, sorry. Eventually, you'd find another pastor. If, If... A new mother said that she were trying to find time to nurse her infant. That infant would die, especially a busy mother. But you don't do that. When that baby begins to cry, begins to whimper, begins to grunt, day or night, in public or in private, you make the time to feed that child. Why? Because at some point along the line, you became convinced that if you don't feed that child, it'll die. And you believe that. And so you act upon that. Well, the Lord said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That, that, that lays alongside of each other and uh, these two very important things. We, we have to have physical food for our bodies. And we have to have spiritual food for our souls. And eternally speaking, ultimately the, the spiritual food is far more important if you're not personally convinced that you need the Word of God more than your baby needs your breast, you're not going to make time for it. You won't. The reason that you're inconsistent is because you don't believe that you need it. You don't believe you need it. Now, you would never say, you would never say, Lord, not, I, mean, I mean, Jesus, not right now. I've got this. I, I can handle this. You wouldn't say that. But when you get up and proceed through your day without running quickly to God's Word, that's what you're saying. I've got this. To to think of it another way, you don't have time to not be in God's Word. The stoutest among us might have 80 more years, maybe. We've only got 24 hours in a day. Very often with our children, we think, well, we've got them for 18 years. Okay? Subtract all the time you spend sleeping. Subtract all the time you spend bathing. Subtract all of the time you spend eating. Subtract all of the time your husband's away from the household. How much time do we really have to advance the kingdom of Christ and especially to, to spend in His Word? You don't have time not to be in it. And the only way the Spirit of God is going to bring these realities home to you is when you get in the Word of God yourself. And in God's Word, you're going to see the danger that you're in. If you'll spend the time in it, I don't have to preach this sermon if you'll go there and get it. You'll see the duty that you've been given if you'll go there and get it. And I'm not saying we need to, we need to get to the point where we can wean everybody off of preaching so that we we just sit alone. I'm saying you you won't be dependent. So let's do that. I want to go to the Word again. I want to remind you of the danger that you've been in. So what I'm, what I'm doing effectively is... is telling you what to do, and I'm just going to try to give you a little jump start. I'm going to do it for you to try to help you out because I do believe that the Spirit uses the preaching of the Word. And if you're convicted by the Spirit, it's going to be effective. So, think about the danger that you're in. We've talked about the danger. Do you recognize, ladies, do you recognize the effects of the fall? Not not have you heard me talk about it. Do you recognize the effects of the fall in your life? Do you see it playing out? Are you aware that every intention of the thoughts of your heart is only evil continually apart from God? That's all you've got. Your options are, are, are intentions of the heart sourced with life from the Spirit of God or only evil continually. Those are your options. Are you aware that the intention of your heart has been evil from your youth? Whenever God's ways are not in your thoughts, this is where your heart goes. Do you recognize that? Even those who are in Christ, we we still have that that residue of corruption that's built up in our, our members, and it's warring. We've talked a lot about that. Ladies, apart from Christ, your throat is an open grave. You have the ability... And I would suggest, and again, examine these things, I would suggest that very often you have the desire to speak in such a way as to destroy your husband. When, 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 when emotions get heated, you have that ability. You use your tongues to deceive, to lie, to cover up. Very often, covering up Idleness or laziness to, to cover up the true events of the day. Think about it. You, you, you want to explain to your husband why something didn't go the way that you had both planned for it to go that day. And something did happen. Something came up. A kid spilt something. A kid threw up. Somebody needed to be changed. Something happened and, the, and plans did not go the way you had planned and so when he gets home, you say, well, this happened, and that's why we didn't get to do this. When you know good and well that when that happened, you had the awareness to stop and to think about the situation and think, well, I'm going to have to work a little bit harder to get everything done, but we, it can be done. But this is also a great excuse for me to use my children, a time for me to use my children as an excuse to just be a little lazy. That's deception. That's deception. Ladies, the venom of asps is under your lips. You know exactly what to say and how to say it to enrage your husband. And the same goes for us men. We know exactly. After, it's like one of the things that you, you fill up your tool belt with the longer you're married is, is, is weapons. You know exactly what to say, how to say, it, or what, what not to say, when not to say anything to infuriate one another. And ladies, are, you're experts at this. You have the venom of asps. Your mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Very often you keep a record of the wrongs that your husband has done. Things that, he, that perhaps they really are wrong, but you're remembering them so that you can bring them up later and cripple him when he tries to actually lead spiritually. He wants to do right, but because you don't want to follow, you remember. Well, I'll, I'll just keep that in the back of my head so that when he does attempt to lead, well, I'll just cut him down and cut him down and cut him down until he's on his knees and he can't lead. Ladies, your feet are swift to shed blood. And your paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace you have not known. Apart from God, you don't know the way of peace. And if you're honest, a lot of times you don't want the way of peace. A lot of times in your mind you recognize that when all things are peaceful, you feel like that's just your husband's thumb holding you down. The only way that you can buck that is to to get out of peace. Just let him know, I'm on the other side of this battle line. There's still somebody to war with. You ever notice how your mind and your motives drift as soon as you become forgetful of God? Two minutes after your quiet time, you're engaged in the silent but deadly gossip of Facebook. You're not saying anything and they're not talking to you, but you're filling your mind with what everybody else is doing. Just going, going, going. Going just that quick. And then, if your husband or your children begin to interrupt your idolatry, will you snap at them because things are being touched that you don't want to be touched? This is these are the effects of the fall. Do you recognize this? Is, is anything I'm saying even remotely close to reality for anybody? You've got to recognize that you're a target. You're a daughter of Adam, you're a daughter of Eve. It worked for your mama. It's going to work for you. Now, I don't think, ladies, that you should expect that to find a serpent in one of the trees out in your yard. Very often it is, in our day, the use of other people and especially false teachers. Especially false teachers. 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. Speaking of false teachers, it says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin... <laughs> Sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Notice, there is a description of weak women. These weak women are easily captured. You're, you've got a target on your back if you're one of these weak women. Now, how are these weak women described? They're burdened with sins. They've got a guilty conscience. They know what they ought to be doing, but they know they're not doing it. They know they ought to be busy, but they're idle. They know they ought to be working harder, but they're lazy. They know they ought to be building a household pleasing to their husband, but they don't want to. They're burdened with that guilt. They know it. They're not striving after godliness. Their days are full of doing as little as possible to get by. You hate the idea of laboring throughout the day, To be pleasing to your husband and you're burdened. You have the guilt of that. It's on your conscience. These weak women are also led astray by various passions. Everything under the sun catches your eye except what ought to be done. Except your household. Except your husband. Your interests are piqued by all types of things. Under the sun, things that sound good. Except creating home where your husband is happy to be in. All types of passions drawing you away. These women, these types of women are always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Why is that? Think. Why is it that a woman burdened with sins and led astray by various passions can always be learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth? It's because ongoing sin and a guilty conscience And a desire to still do everything for self-pleasure will lead these women, weak women, to study, 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 read, and study. But what are they after? They want to pacify their guilty conscience and they want to satisfy those passions. They're, They're not coming to the Word of God to get God. They're coming to pacify their conscience and satisfy their own passions. And these types of women are easily captured. Why? Because false teachers do this. They teach in such a way that pacifies the guilty conscience and satisfies passions. That's what they do. This is the the, the mark of a false teacher. Be on guard against any supposed Bible teaching, male or female, anybody who's off of these two sides of the road. One, One side will make light of sin. One side will scoff at laziness. One side will pretend that a slack attitude in your duties is, well, that's just normal for moms like us. You know, because we're all broken and we we all just need to be fixed. And and, and so that's what they do. Their their language, while they would not come out and say, it's okay to walk in sin, the, the language that they use lets you know that, well, everybody does this and so really it's kind of acceptable. On the other side of the road, there might be things... Writers and teachers who make light of your role in the home. They act like it's it's really not that big of a deal. They make you think that your job is not really important in the overarching plan of the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed how many, especially female teachers, will cater to your flesh? And that's why you're drawn to them. It's not because they're exceptionally exegetical. It's not because they're piercing your conscience. It's because they're just slightly carnal like you are and that's what makes you want to go after that. Women have been used by the devil like this for a long time. I'll I'll, I'll quote James Durham. He says, It is marked in ancient history that there was almost never an eminent heresy or heretic but had some special women for the promoters thereof who often times took to themselves the names of prophetesses, women who want to speak for God. Simon Magus had his Helena, Carpocrates his Marcellina, Apolles his Philomena, Montanus had two whom he called prophetesses, namely Priscilla and Maximilla, and Augustine frequently mentions one Lucilla who was a great ringleader of the Donatists. This is how it's always been. From ancient times they knew, the devil knew, these teachers knew if we can get the women on our side we can rule this thing. We can advance our teachings. And so you have to be on guard, especially with female teachers. I now wonder if you've noticed in our day, especially, all of a sudden, the great need, in quotes, the need that we have for female teachers. We, we, we need a lady to address the ladies because only a lady can really speak to the ladies. Now, I'm not talking about Titus 2. I'm talking about especially doctrinal and scriptural teaching and instruction. We need a lady to address the ladies because only a lady understands how the ladies think. That's called intersectionality. That's, that's what we're against. Not for. Ladies, you have to understand this. You're a voting demographic. You're a marketing demographic. Just walk into any Bible bookstore. The evangelical industrial complex has targeted you. You walk in and it, and it looks like a Bed Bath & Beyond but with Bible verses everywhere right in the door. Boom! because they're after you. They're after your dollars. You're a marketing demographic. You've got a target on your back. The devil does this because he knows you're a daughter of Adam and a daughter of Eve. You have to go to the Scriptures, see your condition, recognize your tendencies, and pray that the Holy Spirit would make His perspective your perspective so that you'll get serious about it. Not only must you personally pursue a spirit wrought conviction with regard to the danger that you're in, but also with regard to your duty. Did you know, ladies, that there's more to being a Christian woman than wearing a skirt and refusing to vaccinate your children? There's more to it than that. I think most of you do. Now, is modesty biblical? Of course. Is caring for the well-being of your children biblical? Of course. But th- there's more to it than that. The, my question is, do you know that? Or did you just hear it somewhere? Do you know that? How many of you could go to the Scriptures and show me why you dress the way you dress? Why you shop the way you shop? Why you clean the way you clean? Why you prepare food the way you prepare food? Why do you do it? Do you have a conviction? If you say no, I'm not saying, well, stop doing it until you can. I'm saying that's a good sign that more than likely... You're doing just what seems right. You're doing what you've heard from somebody else. Or you're doing what your husband perhaps has mentioned to you as he's voiced an opinion. But that won't work in the long run. You're going to burn out. You will be miserable because you have not found it from the Word of God. Unless you're convinced by the Spirit of God that you're doing exactly what God has called and equipped you to do, you cannot sustain your activities with any semblance of Christian joy. And you might be able to do it till you're in your grave. It'll be an early grave, a miserable grave, but you won't be able to do it with joy. So again, what does the Word of God say about your duty? We could go... We could spend a lot of time. What does God's Word say? 1 Timothy 5.14 is a good summary. Paul says, I would urge the younger widows to marry, bear children manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Now you hear that and you say, okay, well I'm not a widow. So then the question is, what is what's Paul getting at here? What's, what's underlying this, this teaching? And what he's saying is, young widows, if you're a young woman and your husband dies, just carry on like a normal Christian woman. Just go on like normal. So then how does the, the apostle describe normal life... For a young Christian woman, what is normative? Get married, have children, manage your household, and give the devil no room to make accusations about your habits. Now I want to draw your attention to this one phrase, manage your household. A lot of times we hear that word manage and we picture the soccer player who sprained his ankle and his buddies come and say, hey, do you need help off the field? And he says, no, I can manage. And he limps off. Manage being there synonymous with I can, I, I can get by. So we read manage your household and what we think of is, well, a woman's job is to just sort of maintain life. Just try to just limp by until your husband gets home. But that's not what the word means. The word here, and I'm going I'm to read the, the the Greek word just so you can hear this. The word is oikodespoteo. Do you hear two words there? Oikos, which is Greek for yogurt. That was a joke. Oikos, which is Greek. If you see the yogurt, this is where this word comes from. It's the word for house. And then despot. Lord. Ruler. Master. This word is the verb of the noun that you see throughout the New Testament. If the servant of the house would have known, or if the servant would have known at what time the master of the house would return, it's the same, it's the same idea. That's the noun. The master of the house. Here, Paul is telling Timothy to tell the young widows, get married, have children, and rule the house. That's normal life for a young. Christian woman. If you will get married, if you will have children, if you will rule your house, you're not going to give the devil any room for slander. Ladies, your home is your palace. It is your domain. It is your sphere of influence, of labor, of work. As your husband goes out into the world to fulfill the dominion mandate given to him, he leaves you behind as his representative to make sure that the dominion mandate is continuing to be fulfilled in that most immediate sphere of his life, his home. Now we hear that and we say, wait a second, I I thought that the husband was the head of the household. And he is. So then how can the wife be the house ruler if the husband is the head of the house? If the the husband is the, the ruler of the house? Well again, we're dealing with complementary roles. They work together. And again, I, I think we could draw a parallel between Christ and His church filled with His Spirit. His bodily in the heavens. He's left His church here on the earth filled with His Spirit. And as she operates in the spirit of her head, she does exactly what He would have her to do. This is why church discipline works. And the devil gains occasion for slander, ladies, whenever your husband's authority is subverted by your actions and your authority when he's out of the house. The, the idea is, is that when the husband leaves, it's like he really didn't leave. Everything is just going to keep going just as if he were here ruling with his own authority. While your husband's at, way at work, you stand as his other half. His representative in the home. His authority is your authority. His standards are your, uh, your standards. Again, do you see the weight of that? That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. It's not a lesser role. Last Lord's Day we referenced Proverbs 31. You ever notice the emphases of the labor of that woman? She doesn't just sit around the house all day. Neither does she run off into the world to be an independent career woman. Proverbs 31, verse 15, She provides food for her household. Verse 21, She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 23, Her husband is known in the gates. Why? Her works go with him, and he's praised in the gates. Verse 26, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Where? More than likely in her household. Verse 27, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This is a strong, industrious, fearless woman of wisdom who takes up the torch of the godly women of old and labors to be a blessing to her husband and her household. Ladies, have you ever been convicted by God's word about your duty? Has He ever inscribed upon your soul the purpose for which you were created? A complementary role. The very thought that any of you would even put your feet on the floor in the morning without immediately running to God for help is absolutely terrifying. Because you don't know what to do and you don't have the strength to do what you do know to do. You can't do it. You've not hung any stars. You've not cupped any oceans. And yet... You, you, and you've got these immortal souls that you're leading, and yet you hope that you can find time to root these activities in the Word of God and His power. God help us if that's how we think. The only reason the floor doesn't swallow you up in the morning is because God doesn't allow it. You cannot do anything without Him. You must have His power. And if that's the way you conduct yourself and you feel like you're doing pretty good, apart from that daily running to the Word of God, all you're doing is buying time until the day when the Word of God is blasphemed because it all fell apart. It crumbled beneath you because you were working in your own power. You must pursue a spirit-wrought conviction of the danger you're in and the duties that you've been given. Can you tell that what I'm trying to do is thrust you into the Word of God? That's what you got to do. You got to be in the Word of God. Number two, our second response. We must pursue a spirit empowered diligence to walk in joyful obedience to God in the fear of God. Or again, to be more specific, ladies, you must pursue, go after, chase, seek to find a spirit empowered diligence to walk in joyful obedience to God in the fear of God. Reading the Word of God is good. Reading the Word of God is crucial. It is going to help you see where you are. It's going to help you see where you ought to be. Reading the Word of God is going to even reveal to you what you need to do to get from where you are to where you ought to be. But again, Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we look at these things, you're saying, well, I'm seeing all that I'm called to do. I'm seeing that there has been some neglect of my duties. I'm seeing where I need to change. But I just can't. I, don't, I can't do this. Exactly. Now you're beginning to see from God's perspective. He's been trying to tell you this for years. You can't do it without Him. So what do you need? You need the Spirit of Christ to give you strength to do what God has commanded you to do in the way that God commanded it to be done. That's Spirit empowered diligence. A determination to act flowing from the work of the spirit and not your own carnal can do attitude. Spirit empowered, God is the strength. Psalm 28:8, the Lord is the strength of his people. You say I can't do it. God says exactly. Now let's move forward. What are you going to do now that you recognize that you can't do it? The Lord is the strength of his people. And He will not have competing rivalries. He's not going to share the stage with you. We, we, we reference Psalm 127 a lot when it comes to how many children we're going to have. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, build it in vain. Or who build it, labor in vain. Okay, that, that goes for everything. Unless He's the one doing it, unless His strength is being used, it will not work. You're laboring in vain when you're laboring in the arm of the flesh, you have to cut that off. I will not work in my own flesh. I will not do it. Cut off your bootstraps. Take off your boots. And rely upon the Lord. There has to be a desperate reliance upon the Spirit of God to increase in you the graces that you need to do what God has commanded in the Spirit that God has required. So you begin to see that you're in the Word, you realize you're desperate, you realize you have this need, then what do you do? You pray. You call upon Him. You ask Him. Give me what I need. Very often the prayer is, I don't even know what I need. But I know that I can't do what You've commanded me to do in the, with the attitude that You've commanded me to do it. I need something. Help me to, to know what I need so that I can then ask You for the things that I need. If you'll be women mighty in the Word of God and mighty in prayer, all the other little piddly things, they're, they're going to fade into the background. And the, the good things will be added. When you seek the kingdom of God, when you wake up looking for a way to bring Christ in, in, in over you with more dominion, everything else is going to be taken care of. And if your husband can't see that, then pray for him to see it. We have to have a spirit-wrought conviction. We have to have a spirit-empowered determination. You have to be begging God for help. Let me close with this from Robert Murray Machane. None but the believer has the right to rejoice and be happy. He has a right to all the joys of home and kindred and friendship. It is highly proper that he should use and enjoy these things. If you're a Christian, a Christian woman, you're the only one on the planet who can actually enjoy the things that God has commanded in the way that He's commanded them. Only a Christian can have this joy. And it's sad that it's often those of us who are in Christ who forfeit this joy because we don't pursue it in the way that He's commanded. We pursue it in our own strength, in our own flesh, according to our own methods, our own philosophies, our own thinking. And we're just miserable. And we wonder, Lord, where is the joy? Where is the joy? Get to the Word and beg God for help. Start that. I I can testify in my calling, in my duty. I can accomplish more in a short period of time when I've spent a proper amount of time in God's Word and prayer. I can accomplish far more than if I just got up and went straight to the study just straight to the studies. I could sit and toil eight hours in a day and accomplish nothing. I can accomplish in two hours what I could do in eight hours when I've spent the the proper amount of time in the Word of God and prayer for myself first and foremost, begging for His help. You've got to be convinced of that or you won't do it. So only those who are believers can really enjoy the joys of family life, and married life, because only a believer has the ability to look beyond the shadow to the substance. We can, we can look at marriage, and we can see what the Scriptures teach about marriage, and we can labor in the Spirit's power to conduct ourselves rightly according to God's Word, and at the very same time, we can, we can look past it and see that there is a greater reality, And we can do that because the body and blood of our Lord was given to ransom us from a purely earthly way of seeing things. He he gave His body and His blood to rescue us from a a temporal sight. We've been given a, a new vision, a new way of seeing things that is beyond anything that this world can comprehend, so that good things... Like marriage, don't have to be bondage to us. We're not trapped in this slavish, uh, day in and day out labor to try to force something to be what it is not. We've been brought out of that bondage through the death of Christ. And it's only when we carry our domestic duties and our marriages back to Golgotha does any of this make any sense at all. That's the only place where we find strength to move forward. So as we come to the table... Devote yourself and your mind to the consideration of the death of Jesus. Ask the Father for grace to mortify pride and selfishness, to mortify lies and deception, to give you more of the mind of Christ. It is an opportunity where we we focus our attention on what He has done, recognizing that what He has done has achieved something for us. This is my body which is given for you. It's for us. So this is where we come. It's a means of grace. So give, our, give your attention to, to the cross, the cross work, and then we'll come to the table together.